Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The twelfth chapter of the second book of Samuel, reading the first thirteen verses. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing, except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. This is the word of the Lord. My dear brothers in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. How could David? Isn't that the question that jumps off the page at you? As you read this, one of the most bewildering, one of the most terrifying accounts in all Scripture. Think about who this is. This is David, the man after God's own heart, whom God took from the sheep pen and made king over his people Israel because God loves his people Israel so very much. David, the story of whose friendship with Jonathan is one of the tenderest stories in the whole Bible, 
This is the man who is conscience-stricken. When he snips a little piece off the corner of King Saul's robe, while King Saul is in the process of hunting him down and trying to kill him. This is the brave fighting general who loves his fighting men so much that when a group of them breaks through the enemy lines and for a special treat brings David a jug of water from the spring in his hometown, David takes that water and he pours it out before the Lord. And he says, I can't drink this. It would be like drinking your blood. And now look what he's gone and done. Is this even the same man? When the year turned and it was time for the kings of Israel to go out and fight the battles of the Lord, David, the brave fighting man, said to his commander, Joab, no, no, that's okay. I'm going to sit this one out. You, you go ahead. And there, back in Jerusalem, what David did, even the most depraved member of our pagan MTV generation would still agree is a very serious sin. Into his web of evil, David draws first Bathsheba and then Joab and then the whole army. And he behaves with a cold, reptilian cynicism that turns evil into good and good into evil. That the narrator here shows us through a series of almost painful ironies. Think about all the ironies in this story. Good old Uriah has to die. But not because he's been disloyal. Because he's loyal. Too loyal for his own good. And then after his little unplanned furlough back in Jerusalem, Uriah heads back to the front lines carrying in his pouch his own death sentence, which we know he is too loyal a soldier not to deliver to his commander, Joab. And then a short time later, a messenger comes back to Jerusalem from the front lines with some bad news. The battle isn't going very well. But the bad news doesn't bother David because there's good news. Uriah's dead. And that good news brightens David's whole day. And so callous, so spiritually dense has David become that he goes on this way for the better part of a year until finally, in the greatest irony of all, God sends the prophet Nathan to David with a little story about a man and a sheep and David cannot recognize himself in the story until the prophet Nathan has to say to him, Oh, by the way, the man that you just said deserves to die. Actually, that would be you. 
And how did we get here? How could David? Well, that's really the question that the narrator refuses to answer. But from what the prophet Nathan says, it is very clear what the reason is not. The reason for David's great sin is not that the Lord his God had deprived him of anything or in any way. And so we may safely conclude that David did not sin his great sin because he had been raised in a dysfunctional family where he had bad role models. David did not sin his great sin because he suffered from low self-esteem. And nor did David sin because he had been thrust into one of those situations where the temptation would have been just too strong for almost anybody. Now, there is simply no accounting for David's sin in this story. And so we are left with only one possible conclusion. David sinned his great sin for one main reason. And that's because he could. And that's terrifying. There is no explanation for David's great sin other than the restless, ferocious evil that lurks inside even the man after God's own heart. That evil lurked inside David, biding its time, waiting for its opportunity. Opportunity came and the evil struck and it struck hard. And that's terrifying. Because the same evil lurks inside you and me. And Lent, in particular, is the season of the church year when it's good for us to think about just what that means. It is good for us to recall those times when the main reason that you and I haven't behaved just like David has been that we're not the king. It is good for us to recall the times when the main thing that prevented us from committing crimes as serious as David's, or maybe even worse, has been a lack of opportunity. And brothers, I apologize for speaking somewhat bluntly, but I must. The Lord our God is not impressed if the main reason that you and I have not broken the sixth commandment in the grossest possible way has been that nobody else particularly wanted to break it with us. The Lord our 
God is not impressed if the main thing that has kept us from breaking the fifth commandment in the grossest possible way has been the fact that we lack the guts and that there weren't any Ammonites around to do our dirty work for us. Brothers, as we drop to our knees in contrition and repentance and invite our people to their knees, it is good for us to think about who this peccator in simil justus et peccator, who this guy really is and what he is capable of. Let us understand that our spiritual problem and our people's spiritual problem runs just a little deeper than that sometimes we just get so busy forget about God. And our spiritual problem runs a little deeper than that sometimes we just let slip too many opportunities to tell that friend or that co-worker about Jesus. There was once a missionary in a remote village in the developing world who everybody around him thought was just the kindest, most saintly man they had ever known. And this missionary used to reflect on the good opinion that everybody around him seemed to have of him and and what a farce it really was. And he wrote in his journal, if the people in this village knew the thoughts that pass through my mind sometimes, the village children would pelt me with stones as I walked down the street. How could David do this? When you think about it, That's really not a difficult question at all. There's a much tougher one in this text. The great imponderable question in this text is not, how could David? The great imponderable is, how could God? Let's think about that one. I have sinned against the Lord, David says. And there is no kneeling. There are no tears. There isn't any sackcloth or ashes. And there are no promises to do better in the future or at least to stay off the rooftop in the future. Any one of those things would have been entirely appropriate. And we do hear about some of those in the Psalms, but not here. Here it's nothing but, I have sinned against the Lord. That's all. Because that's really all there is to say. 
And Nathan doesn't even blink. The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die, he says. There are no required works of penance. There is no probation period. Nathan doesn't say anything about if you believe or if you'll ask the Lord to forgive you right now. And come to think of it, he doesn't say anything about an apology to Bathsheba or to Uriah's family. The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Just like that. And please don't say, yes, but the child born to Bathsheba was going to die. Yes, David was about to be humiliated too, the same way he brought disgrace on the Lord. Absalom's rebellion is about to break open. And David is going to have to flee from Jerusalem. And the sword is never again going to depart from David's house because he's done this. All that is very true. But weigh all that against this. King Saul. Remember him? King Saul is rejected by the Lord and stripped of the kingship for doing what? For offering the sacrifice at Gilgal. While his troops are all scattering and the prophet Samuel is nowhere to be found. That's what Saul did. David, on the other hand, wipes his feet on the Lord's generosity, steals a man's wife, makes her pregnant, kills the man, and just like that, he is back to being the man after God's own heart. And throughout the whole process, he never once ceases to be the king. David's great sufferings from this point on in his life were very real. In a sense, they were even necessary. And David embraced them. But never with any thought that they somehow made up for what they had done. Because they didn't. What David had done would be made up for but not by David. They would be made up for by Bathsheba's son and not this poor little baby. You know that Bathsheba had another son. They called him Solomon. And Solomon had sons and grandsons with names like Rehoboam, Hezekiah and Josiah. And many, many years later, there would be a great, great, great grandson by the name of Jacob. And this Jacob would have a son, actually a grandson, by the name of Jesus. And they would call him the son of David. And Jesus would. 
and as he paid, Jesus pondered the great imponderable of this text. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, he said, how could you? My God. Why? And interestingly, if God had an answer, neither Psalm 22 nor the Gospels tell us what it was. And as we come to the cross, let us ponder this imponderable most of all, the unconditional in unconditional forgiveness. There is no reason whatsoever why God should forgive us other than the death of Bathsheba's son. And why Jesus should die so that you and I can live That answer lies hidden in the tender and merciful heart of our gracious God. Our forgiveness by God is unfathomable in the etymological sense. It is beyond deep, beyond profound. And so this is forgiveness for more than just the times when you and I have been something less than nice guys. This is forgiveness for adultery and murder and hatred and rage and envy and theft and lies. This is forgiveness for all the stuff inside that if the children in our village and the grandmas in our pews knew about, they would pelt us with rocks. For Jesus did not die to make us nice guys. He died to declare us not guilty. And he has. And so come to Jesus and bring your great unfathomable, your great imponderable sins. Because the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Yes. Just like that. Amen.